undeserved merit. God's gift, yes. Somebody else. God's incredible love for us. Yeah. Undeserved favor. Unconditional love. Peg Gayton's daughter. Peg McCormick's daughter. We're graceless this morning, actually. Favorite kindness shown without regard to the worth or merit of the one who receives it and in spite of what the same person deserves. I'd like to go even a little bit deeper than that. Uh, the word favor, the word grace is also translated favor. It's translated, uh, it's really garbled with a whole bunch of different words. Actually, one of them is joy. I would like to, in 2 Corinthians... Second Corinthians chapter nine. Verse eight, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Good, isn't it? Grace is a necessity for living this thing out. It's a necessity for the Christian walk. How do we overflow with grace? How do we give grace? We've got to receive it first. You know, uh, back in Exodus, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Part of who our God is is gracious. Part of his nature and his character and the things about him is grace, is graciousness. It's who he is. Jesus came. We read in John chapter 1. Jesus came. Let's turn there, actually. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, but the God, the one and only, who is the, on, at the Father's side, has made him known. Part of who God is, is he is gracious God. Jesus came to bring grace and truth. You know, grace and truth in the, in the garden was something that was kind of separated. Jesus came to bring fulfillment of that and bring it back together. I'm bringing grace and truth. You know, people with just grace, Paul talks about it in Romans, people with just grace, they get wacky, they think they can do whatever they want to do, they think they can, I'm under grace, I'm not under the law, I'm fine. There's no truth involved. There's no truth of consequences. There's no, it's just grace. And if it's just truth, and no grace, it's hurtful and it's damning. Jesus came full of grace and truth. It says in, in, in one area, he, he grew in the grace and favor of, of God. I think of this season and reflect this generous gift. A generous gift. You see him in the narthex there. I always wonder, though, that generous gift. The heart of a father. I know it was the joy set before Jesus. He endured the cross. We were his joy. But what I, I, I don't get, I, I, I don't understand the heart of a father the Father's love. He sent His Son full of grace and truth. I can't wrap my head around it. Some, we, in our minds, we separate the, the Christmas story and the Easter story. They're one and the same. I want to illustrate for you, before we talk about how we receive grace and how we give grace, I want to just illustrate in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter 9. Now, David, um, I like David. David was a, a man after God's own heart. He was anointed to be king over Israel. The guy that was currently king, Saul, was trying to kill him. David spent... From the time he was anointed till the time he became king, almost 21 years, a good portion of that time he was running for his life. He finally comes to the place where he's king. He now has everything he's ever wanted, everything he's ever needed. He has all the money, wealth, power. He doesn't need anything from anybody. 
It was customary in that day when someone took the throne, your predecessor, you'd usually wipe out his family because you want anybody interfering with your spot on the throne. Right? David had made a pact with Jonathan, Saul's son. Jonathan saw the anointing and the, the call of God on David's life and said, when you become king, I know God's really dealing with my dad. He's going to take him out. When you become king, remember me and my family. And this is after David had taken the throne. David asked, is there anyone left in the house of Saul who may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The word kindness translated grace. Anyone I can show grace to for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to be here before David, the king, and said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's in the house of Mekar, the Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought to, from Lodabar to the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth? Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you to the land that belongs to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master, your grandson, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and bring him the crops. So your master will always eat it at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20, 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Why? Does it mention he was crippled in both feet? Uh, I think when David is saying to Ziba, is there anybody left in the house of Jonathan, the house of Saul, that I can bless, that I can show favor and kindness and grace to? Anybody left? Ziba's thinking, oh, David just wants to 
make this guy a poster boy that he's got a treaty and oh he's such a great guy and Dave this isn't really your poster child he's crippled It's interesting if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4 verse 4 Saul and Jonathan had died Mephibosheth's nurse heard that probably thought, uh, they're coming to kill. They're coming to kill Mephibosheth. He's next in line. They're coming to kill him. So in her haste, she went to grab the kid and dropped him. Not only was Mephibosheth hiding, it says he was in the, the land of Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture. He was in land in desolate place. There was nothing for him. He was hiding. He was running. So I don't want to die. Not only is he running, but he's just the thought of David. Can you imagine? David did this to me. The reason I'm crippled is because of David. Can you imagine him coming to the palace? Come in through the big doors, and there's guards on both sides. I don't have a chance here. I'm walking on death row here. Says he got to David, and he got down on his face and bowed down. Came in humbly. Yet another word translated grace. Some of us, our view of who God is, our view of, of God, have something in our past has left us crippled one way or another. And when God calls for you and says, come eat at my table, come, come eat in my palace, I want to show kindness and favor and grace to you. view of God is skewed because of something that left us crippled. Something that wounded us. He's longing to show us favor and kindness and grace. The message of the cross, the message of the Christmas season. Grace, 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 grace. Dig into it a little here. Receiving grace. How do we receive grace? Folly. It doesn't make any sense. Grace does not make sense. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve and what you didn't earn. Grace doesn't make sense. If we uh, look at Matthew chapter 20, 
Matthew chapter 20 talks about the, the servant who, or the, the master who hired a bunch of servants. Uh, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went, went out early in the morning to hire men to work at the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw another standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out against, again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found another standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go work in my vineyards. When evening came and the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call workers and pay them the wages, beginning with the last ones he hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received it in areas. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive much more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only for one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne burden for the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Doesn't make sense. Why can't I do with my money what I want to do with it? Why can't I be generous? He's gracious. And we don't, most of us identify with the, the ones who are working in the field all day when actuality, we're the ones that did nothing to earn their pay. We're all in the same boat. He did the work. He's the one that did it. You know, uh, just another illustration and picture of Mephibosheth coming before David. David getting down. Hey, uh, Mephibosheth, you can look up at me. You can. Another word for grace is in the Old Testament, was to stoop. There's nothing more stooping than him coming down. Right? None of us did anything to earn it. You can't do anything to earn it. 
putting our faith and hope and trust in what he did on the cross and what God sent his only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He's the one that does the work. Hmm. Some of us have a hard time even in the natural receiving gifts, don't we? Here's something. I got you a gift. Uh, thank you. That's generous. It's awkward sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to receive. It's a humbling thing. You've got to come humbly. Makes no sense. anything about faith? How we receive? It's not faith in God's niceness. It's faith in what Jesus did on the cross. The cross. So it's folly. It's faith of joy. Ties in well today, huh? See, Tom is laughing because we start with F. He knows what's going on. <laughs> Full of joy. This should be a joyous time of year. Receiving grace. Receiving, receiving grace is a joyous thing. Talk about the Advent candle today, joy. Irma Bombeck, anybody heard of her? She, uh, one of her, this is just a quote from her. In church the other Sunday, I was, I was intent on a small child who was turning around smiling at everyone. He wasn't gargling, spitting, humming, kicking, carrying the hymnals, or rummaging through his mother's handbag. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him around, and in a stage whisper that could be heard a little theater off Broadway said, Stop that grinning. You're in church. <laughs> With that, she gave him a belt, and the tears rolled down his cheeks. And added, that's better. And returned to her prayers. Suddenly I was angry. It occurred to me that the entire world is in tears. And if you're not, then you better get with it. I wanted to grab the child with those tear-stained face and, close, and hold him close to me and tell him about my God. The happy God. Smiling God. The God who created us and has to have a sense of humor. 
to create us. It's true, isn't it? I always liked uh, Ken Davis. Anybody heard of Ken Davis? Christian comedian. He'd always joke about, I've been a Christian for 60 years. I'm like, well, tell your face. <laughs> like, yeah. Oops. Full of joy. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? <clears throat> Come to me, get away with me, and you'll, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll live freely and lightly. Our Christian walk should be life-giving. It should be full of joy. If your Christian walk is boring and really something you dread, spending time with the Lord, coming to church on Sunday, just a duty, something you have to do, probably don't got the concept of grace grasped. A walk with him, our relationship with him, man, should be the most life-giving, full of joy thing. We sing the song, we sang a song about joy, we sing the song at Christmas, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. It's a joyous thing. And it's okay to be free. You know, in walking with young people, I so many times they get caught up in, I got to do, 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 do. If I don't do, 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 if I don't perform, I don't get it right, then they're dealing with not only the, the, the fail, feeling of failure of not doing doing it right, they're, they're the feeling of self-worth goes down. I'm, I'm never going to get it right. I'm never going to get it. Or you could just be free. And I'm not talking about a license to do anything. But it is a thing that says, I'm doing my best. I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm walking in relationship with him. It's a fun and exciting thing. You don't need to be full of guilt because you've messed up over and over and over and over. Be free from the guilt. Freedom. All right, if, if Jesus was says he, he was full of grace and truth. And he grew in that. I 
at what point did Jesus begin to overflow grace? Overflowing grace. I don't know the answer. I'm just trying to get your wheels turning. Overflowing grace. It says in Ephesians 5.1, where the imitators of God is dearly loved children. How do we imitate God? We're never going to imitate him by being all places at all times. We're never going to imitate him by being all-powerful. Right? But we can't imitate his nature and his character and the things about him, his, his qualities. One of his qualities is grace-giving. He was full of grace and truth to the point where it's overflowing. We've got to learn how to receive before we can give. Receiving is, is coming humbly before him. God stooping. Some of you, you're coming in crippled. Still got to learn to receive. Grace giving, how does that look? Giving grace. Forgiveness. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Basically, put it in youth culture, modern day. My brother stole my CD. That same brother that complained about the, the brother stealing the CD stole his iPod. Let's say that's more. That's more because uh, you can carry carry a lot more on an iPod. So y'all know what iPods are? <laughs> he stole my iPod. Not only did he steal my iPod, but he broke my iPod. Oof. It's not cheap. That same brother goes and he, and he, all right, you're forgiven. I'll just get a new one at some point. That same brother who broke the iPod and was forgiven went and went to his little sister and said, give me my CD. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I was in Kosovo. One of the most powerful testimonies of forgiveness I've ever seen or heard. Went to a small gypsy, gypsy church. Was in this church in a small I don't know, 50 people crammed into a small room, probably about the size of the music room. The guy sitting in the back, crying, weeping the whole time. Said to the pastor there, what's going on with him? Hmm. Pastor couldn't even get words out. 
He started crying. I'll tell you later. Okay? Later on in the van, he began to talk and ask, what's going on with the guy sitting in the back? That's Armand. Armand was, during the war, forced to fight for the enemy army and actually killed several people in the village, including my older brother. that work? Gosman is the pastor's name. His name means joy. Gazi, what happened? Armin came into the service, one of our services shortly after the war, said immediately inside, I just, uh, it, rage, hatred, Everything you can imagine. He said the peace came in the room. Then he heard the voice of the Lord say, Remember what? You've been forgiven of. He went to Armin. Felt like everything he had released it, letting go. Went to Armin and he said, I want you to know we forgive you. His response was, If you can forgive me for what I have done, your God must be real and I want him. That entire gypsy village is safe. The Bible talks about not only does forgiveness free us, give us liberty, give us joy, but it's also showing the world. Some of us dealing with unforgiveness. Can we get a hold of grace? I mean to be so heavy this morning, but you receive, you've received forgiveness. Jesus said it in that parable. You've received so much. Why wouldn't you give it? Same thing kind of ties into the next one. It's fragrant. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's only one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, one hope when you were called. Grace brings unity. 
having grace for one another. When we don't have grace for one another, we look at everybody's faults, we look at all their issues, we look at everything they got wrong, I don't want to be a part of them, they're a bunch of hypocrites. No, no, we're not perfect. No, we don't have it all together. When there's grace flowing in your life, you're able to see potential in people. You're able to see, let's walk in unity. Let's, let's work through this. Let's, let's move through this. Brings unity. Now, you know, the way God designed it, we need each other. We're not meant to do it alone. We're not meant to do it ourselves. We need each other. Part of flowing grace and grace flowing through our lives, we start to see others' needs. We start to see others. We start to see our own need for each other. Is this making sense at all? I was supposed to give a shout-out to Joy this morning. We're talking about Joy, so Heidi's mom, Joy, is here. It's her birthday tomorrow. So say happy birthday when you get a chance. Being completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There's a... Love, unity, there's a, we're able to bear with one another. There's other scriptures that talk about unity, grace, that culminates unity, and that grace being something that's fragrant. That unity is something that brings fragrance. You know, I, the, the first point that I made was grace is folly. At the same time, grace, it, it doesn't make any sense, but at the same time, it's what makes sense of everything. It's what brings clarity. Because in this world, you know as well as anybody else, especially this time of year, is Jesus really the only way? Is Jesus really the, the only way to get to heaven? Grace doesn't make any sense, but at the same time, it's, 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 we're all in. It's his grace. Now, if, if, if my walk with the Lord and my thing, what I believe is Jesus is the only way, and what you believe is there's a hundred ways, a hundred ways to get to him. Bible talks about it. What was the point of Jesus dying on the cross if there was more than one way to get to the Father? 
you kind of cheapen the, the message of the cross. That's one thing we at this body are unified in. The message of the cross. It being the only way to the Father. Fruitful. Hannah mentioned it earlier. My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, he is made strong. And you know, when we walk in his grace and we're living in his grace and we're overflowing grace, even in our weakness, even in our, we don't have it all together, even in our weakness, he's made strong. And you know, walking with the Spirit and walking with Jesus, there's nothing more fruitful than walking with Jesus. If you think of the disciples, professional fishermen, never caught a fish apart from Jesus. They're out all night long, more than once. Nets were empty, apart from Jesus. They were professionals. It's what they did. There's nothing more fruitful than being with Jesus. Like Pastor Jim, when I first got here, one of his things he kept, kept saying to me, find out what Jesus is doing and do it. Join him in that. You know how liberating that is? You know how freeing that is? You know how it just brings fruit? I'm finding what Jesus is doing, and I'm going to join him in that. Makes my job easy. Full of joy. I get Dave Hogren back on the guitar. We're going to leave with just a... I want us to just reflect and chew on some things. Give you some points to ponder here. Are we receiving grace? If not, why not? Are you crippled in both feet? Are you living in low debar? Are you receiving grace? Are we living freely and lightly? Are we in any way trying to earn what is free? Are we dispensing grace to a graceless world? Are we forgiving? Are we proclaiming the gospel of grace? There was a Remember John Newton? 
He, at a young age, his he was kind of raised by his mother. I don't know all the facts of the story. I, they're a little fuzzy. He was a ended up becoming very bitter and angry. Not a lot of grace in his life. Parents passed away. He was ended up being a slave owner, or helping with a slave owner, or slave trade. He was going back and forth, and on one of his journeys, there was a big storm. He's talking to the captain of the boat. We got to get this. Next thing he knows, the captain was gone. They went from a place of two-thirds of the slaves that he would bring over didn't even survive the trip. He didn't even care. God got a hold of him. He wrote a song you might maybe have heard before. It's called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He was actually blind when he wrote that song. If you look at his life, Some of us here, you're thinking, how do I, I can't receive grace. I'm too wretched. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. This message is very simple. Putting all your faith and hope and trust in what he did sending his son for the purpose of dying on a cross. Can we just take a little time here and I want you to reflect a little bit.
in this posture of reverent prayer. We're just going to sing this very simple song. And then we'll pray a prayer of dedication. 